0: Thursday, P F T O T. Before we cut Chris Sims loose for the weekend, his three-day weekend, he can go home and celebrate his son's birthday with him, have a little relaxing evening, and you know it's not. And I give you a hard time. I know you keep working. I know you keep paying attention to football. We're getting closer and closer, and you'd be working hard this weekend if we had preseason games. You'd be watching games every night. It really is getting into a strange phase in August where they haven't even started hitting yet. And in any other year, we'd be getting ready to take in 16 preseason games over the course of the next four days.
1: Oh, I know. It's, it's really one of my favorite weekends of the year. It can drive you crazy because you're trying to watch everything and do that. And I know last year we were sitting there on you know our Apple TV NFL app and doing all that, trying to watch games, and we'd be texting each other and doing all that. I can still remember us in the first preseason game. I have a vivid memory of going, Us going back and forth. We saw one drive from Kyler Murray, and we said, you know what? He belongs. He's kind of good. I think he's going to be a star. I'm going to miss that tonight, you know, and throughout the weekend. Uh, That's what I get excited for. But at least everything is looking good in football. You know, the COVID testing, it's all going in the right direction, and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, think of what this is going to do for the anticipation of four weeks from tonight and then three days later when the games start – we haven't had an appetizer. We haven't had a sneak preview. We don't know what to expect when the teams line up. We also don't know what to expect when it comes to COVID-19. Even though everything looks good for now, the testing has gone well. The numbers are low. Chris, we talked during PFT Live today about this notion that the commissioner may have an advisory committee of outside people, not members of the competition committee because there may be a conflict of interest. So it would be other people who help him decide when to shut a team down, when to postpone a game, when to cancel a game, when to take action if he deems action is necessary given that one or two teams in a given game are depleted at a certain position group or just don't have enough healthy players to dress 46. And, and we talked during the show, and let's revisit that, and let's hammer yeah. that point. Yeah. I don't like the idea of having an escape hatch. You, you get 46 guys ready to play. Period. And if you don't have 46 healthy guys, you get more. They're going to have 16 practice squad players. Any of them, one, two, all the way up to 16, can be activated to the roster on game day up to 90 minutes before kickoff. And if and if is not enough, have more. And if you need to have rosters of players who aren't connected to any team that are kept in game shape so you can backfill those 16, if the outbreak takes away your entire practice squad, do that. Do everything you have to do to make sure there's going to be enough players. So this conversation of whether or not you shut down a game never happens. It's never even been considered when a team is ravaged with injury. It's always, you know, believe that you're going to get guys ready. And if you got a bunch of guys injured and you get the crap kicked out of you, that's life. That happens in football. So whether it's an injury or whether it's an infection, it shouldn't matter.
1: Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I'm with you in a lot of ways, but you know, of course, as we both have said many times, this is a different year, you know, so we don't know what to expect. And the, the, the one thing I'll say, and you know, I've been beating this drum from kind of the start here is if the 16 guys on the practice squad, and maybe you being able to sign a few other guys stops you from fielding a team on Sunday, sorry, you lose, you lose You're so, that's part of the game this year. Can you handle the pandemic and the virus? It's Part of it. It's weird. Is it fair? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe not, but that's just the way it is. And that's why I don't, I don't like that, that we're going to give this wiggle room and, I mean, rescheduling games or having uneven schedules. I really wish the NFL would go, no, hey, Team A, you're healthy and ready to go. Team B, you have an outbreak and can't feel the team. Sorry, Team B, that's an L. Big L, you lost. You lost. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Now, you know, if they're not willing to do that, then I do think the committee is somewhat necessary, yes, to maybe just sit there and have some football thoughts for a guy like Roger Goodell, who's not a football player, not a coach, a GM, anything like that. You know, he handles business, so he doesn't know realistically all what it takes, you know, to get a team ready or what is needed to field a team on a Sunday. So I do think it'd be nice to have, yeah, some you know so-called experts ex-coaches ex-players be a part of that conversation to maybe just throw ideas around too you know again we know a lot of there's a lot of smart coaches in football some of these ex-players and ex-coaches talk to these smart players or smart coaches out there and I'm sure they get good ideas thrown at them all the time and you know I, I understand it from that standpoint I guess is what I'm saying but I think if you lose to COVID you lose the game that's my that's my take
0: Yeah. And I don't like the idea of a committee that would determine case by case or advise case by case on what the commissioner should do. I think that the competition committee should devise standards now. That -hmm. that if there is going to be some threshold that results in games not being played, you identify it now. But here's the problem. They don't like to engage in foresight because they're not good at engaging in foresight. And what they tried to do last year with instant replay – for pass interference calls and non-calls, replay review for pass interference calls and non-calls, that, that made them even more concerned about trying to prospectively predict things and create standards. So they'd rather just decide case by case, one at a time, when should we go, when should we not go, and I don't like that. There needs to be standards, there needs to be consistency, Chris, and it can't be, well, you know what, this is just one of the 10 games being played at 1 o'clock Eastern on Sunday, we can go ahead and postpone this one. But you know what, the primetime Monday night game, we, we better go ahead and find a way to play that yeah, one. Yeah, sure. That's not going to be good for anybody. Right. And I'm, I'm afraid that that's going to be one of the decision uh, uh, factors that drive the outcome. You know, how, what is the impact of not having this game on the broader broadcasting model we can do without a one o'clock game on Sunday. We can't do without a primetime game.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's what would concern me too is, you know, bias within those communities, not being consistent, you know, through and through with how you're evaluating the situation. Yeah. Letting uh, the stage in which the game is played on affect you, letting the team that's playing and, you know, maybe some of their star players affecting you, you know, maybe one week, we got the Jaguars and their offensive lines wiped out, and they go, well, we can't do that. That's not fair to Gardner Minshew and the Jaguars, blah, blah, blah. And then the next week, the same thing happens to the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't want that committee going, well, they got Mahomes and Tyree Kill in case they'll be okay. He'll, he'll figure out how to manage the game. No, that would be BS, you know, let alone with a bunch of other factors we could probably throw out there too if we thought about this more. So, uh, yeah, there, I, Mike, you, you're on to that one there. I think you're right. Those, those, that, those things need to be set forth right now. Uh, and it does seem like, you know, the NFL is a little scared to do that. Yeah, I, don't, I don't deny that. I think you're right there. But uh, I don't know where, where this goes going forward. I wish they would throw out a rule out there soon or something to tell us what they're going to do if a team doesn't have They don't want to be outbreak. tied to it. Yeah, I know they, they don't. They right. don't want to be tied to right. it. See, that's the thing. Yeah.
0: They don't want to have to cancel a primetime game. On any terms other than their own. Yeah, right. They don't want to have right. a rule that ties their hands. Yeah. And and, and, and look, and this isn't criticism. We're trying to understand how this sausage is going to get made before they start putting it into that, the meat grinder, right? That's the thing they use, the meat grinder to make the sausage. We're trying to figure out what the sausage is going to look like before they've even started to put the ingredients into the hopper. So I think they don't want to have a clear set of rules because they don't want to have their hands tied. They want to have the flexibility to make it up as they go. But that is the problem, I think, of doing it this way. And Chris, one other thing. Yeah. Acknowledging that the competition committee members would have conflicts of interest opens a box full of Pandora because you think they're going to find a committee of anybody who doesn't have a conflict of interest. You think they're going to find a pristine group of people who has no friendship, who has no relationship, who has no rooting interest, who has no enemy that they want to stick it to. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's what I would worry
1: about. Right.
0: And, and, and so, and so, Whether it's competition committee members or outside committee, if they're not going to set aside their own self-interest and put something on, you know, the table that is in the interest of the game, it's got to be the best interest of the game. So I just look, I think the easiest rule is this. You have 46 players in uniform. And you know what? There have been times where we've wondered whether or not a team was even going to have 46 guys. You show up and play the game, and if for some reason you don't think you're able to play the game, then you forfeit the game, just like the Little League team that shows up with six players for a baseball game. If you can't do it, you don't do it. There should not be an escape hatch. There should not be a way to postpone games. That is fair and consistent and it gives you the ultimate incentive to keep that virus out of your building.
1: That, that that's where I'm be. That's why I'm behind it. Uh, you know I am. And you know, uh, oddly enough, you know where we look in like social media and Twitter and something, we've gotten really a lot of positive reaction about that. You know, as far as that type of approach. But I, I think that's the big thing. You're right. It takes out bias, and it courses the ultimate incentive for these teams to continue to battle on that front too. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll see where it goes. I mean, hopefully we'll have an answer or two here over the next three weeks or so. All
0: right, one last thing before we wrap it up today. Sean McDermott getting the reward that he so richly deserves after taking the Bills to the playoffs twice in three years when they hadn't been there since 1999 before his arrival. You know, not a lot of details, multi-year extension. You never really know until you can look at the document, and there's so much less transparency when it comes to paying coaches than there is when it comes to paying players but McDermott has done well and he's on the front end of what could be a very successful long-term career as coach of a Bills team that may have an opportunity to kind of rewind the clock to the early 90s if the Patriots have any type of slippage post Tom Brady. Chris. Yeah,
1: but yeah, and you know, the, yeah, even the the talk of the contract extension for McDermott, you know, doesn't get a lot of news, kind of flies into the radar. I feel like that's the Bills and Sean McDermott. It's kind of, you know, what they are. But you know, we gush a lot about Sean McDermott. I know I certainly do, and I think you, you do as well. Because you talk about change of culture, changing a team, you know, week-to-week game plans. McDermott is as good as it gets. With him and Brandon Bean up there in Buffalo, I mean, I, I everything I've seen to this point, I go, damn, they're they're in the cream of the crop as, you know, duo coach GMs in football for, for my money. How quickly they've reversed things there in Buffalo – you know they qu- clearly have a vision and what they like. Two playoffs, two out of the last three years. You know, one with Tyrod Taylor, and then another one with a second-year quarterback and Josh Allen. He's a defensive coach, and his defense has been damn special ever since he's been up there. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is, uh, good to see. It really is. It's good to see the good people in football get rewarded. And I also sit here with this Sean McDermott contract extension and go, he better get a damn extension. If Matt Rule's going to make nine and a half million dollars a year and hasn't even, you know, pissed a drop in the NFL yet. Yep. I said that. There we go. Yep. Bam. It's Friday for me. And Sean McDermott makes the playoffs two out of the last three years. I'm principal. That's just messed up. So, uh, you know, uh, hopefully McDermott got $9.6 million or $10 million or whatever it is, but uh, good to see nonetheless.
0: Something we talked about during one of the breaks today, and this is a very real dynamic, the guys making the most money at the coaching position in the NFL, we don't know how much they make. The teams do a good job of... Funneling money through different companies, and the official number is one thing, but the real number is a different thing. And it's all about not blowing out the curve. And that's why there's anger and frustration that the Panthers paid Matt Rule what they did because David Tepper blew out the curve. Right. And look, this is what this is what happens when when the pool of available multi-billionaires shrinks and there aren't a whole lot of people who can write the check for a team. You potentially are going to approve ownership by a guy who's going to come in is going to what the what, unwritten rules? What's this unspoken agreement? Right. Bull crap! Right. I'm trying to win football games, and I know how valuable a good coach is. I mean, we've been saying it for years. You look at how much salary cap space goes to certain players, how much a quarterback gets. I mean, if you've got a quarterback that's worth forty million a year. Bill Belichick's worth $45 million a year, <laughs> right. right? So, I mean, coaches, the good coaches should be getting a lot more than they're getting because they mean a lot more to the success of the team than the best players do,
1: Chris. Yeah, I don't think there's a, a sport in all the world that can compare to the importance of an NFL head coach. Uh, to me, it's it's the, 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 one, the most de- coach-dependent sport there is uh, that we got out there right now. And, you know, you're right. I think a lot of them are a little bit underpaid, but a lot of them are making a lot more money than we realize because of, yes, the tricks of the trade or whatever, how the owners figure out how to do these contracts, pay them through different companies, like you said, you know, pay them a yearly salary, but they get a bonus that they don't have to really tell the public about every January. Those are how those things go. So, yeah, we don't know what the top coaches. We were spitballing, right? We were going like, I wonder what Bill Belichick really does make. You know, I mean, if you made me guess, I'd bet you Bill Belichick's making $20 million a year. I would think it's somewhere around there. You know, if Matt Rule's making nine and a half, and I think we know some other coaches that we think are somewhere in the 14, 15 range, I would just think Belichick's probably up there and around 20.
0: And let me just say this. If Bill Belichick's making $20 million a year, he's woefully underpaid. <laughs> he's right. worth so much more right. than that. And 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 it's all about keeping the market under control and and look it, there's never going to be a collusion lawsuit filed by coaches against the NFL it's not going to happen but they're vulnerable to it and if you go back over the years and look at how the salaries have gone up for players the the explosion especially with the salary cap and free agency and and the sharing of the revenue between the league and the and the players you look at how that's gone up, and then if you would chart the same numbers for coaches, it's not going up at the same rate no. and it and it should. Right. But they're doing a good job of keeping it under control. So we won't know exactly how much Sean McDermott is making, and there's a good chance whatever it is, he's making more. He deserves all of it as well because there's an opportunity to knock Belichick off of his pedestal. And and, and who knows. Uh, you know, Belichick is still Belichick and I and with Cam Newton there, I still think they're gonna be pretty good. Yep. But Sean McDermott's done a pretty good job of putting himself in number two position in that division, Chris, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. No,
1: I don't. I mean, it's it's the first time in a while we're actually thinking about, like, whoa, do we switch the Patriots to number two? I mean, I think that says a little something. I mean, and even last year, we weren't putting the Patriots to number two. We knew they were still number one and all that, but we did go into the Buffalo games going last year going like, hmm. Can Buffalo? Buffalo might be able to beat New England. They might be able to do that. They played them pretty close two times, you know, certainly didn't win. I understand that. But, uh, yeah, I think this is the first legitimate challenger in the AFC East since the early days of Rex Ryan and the Jets. There hasn't been anybody significant since then. And uh, I think McDermott, you know, is, is going to be here for a while and, and m- make a mark on the AFC East, you know, maybe even after Belichick gone.
0: I, I just expect McDermott to be the head coach for a long time. All right, that's it for today's PFTOT. We'll be back Friday for a new edition of PFT Live. Check out Chris Sims Unbuttoned Button. PFTPM. haven't done one this week. Maybe, Although I think PFTOT still becomes PFT PM. I don't know. I've been so caught up in everything that's going on. I don't know what's happening anymore. It still does. See so if you can telling. get a little work so done this week,
1: okay? Come on. Try to do something yeah. around here. Help out the, uh, the, oh, the you know, NBC. Try to help us out a little bit, please.
0: This, the streak continues <laughs> back to January 1, 2004. Hashtag no days off. No All right, have three days no off. No days off. No days off. Happy birthday to little Phil, a.k.a. the little effer. Yep. And uh, uh, enjoy enjoy your time uh, off, although I know you won't be completely shut down. We'll see everybody on Friday. Have a great day. See ya.